0: Good morning to everybody. It's time to start our Bible study this morning. We're glad that you're here. We're going to be, uh, we'll begin this morning in Isaiah chapter 42. So if you want to open your Bibles there, Isaiah 42, we'll, uh, we'll travel quite a bit this morning, but that's where we're going to begin. Isaiah chapter 42. Glad to see everyone. Um, hope you've had a great week. Let's uh, begin this morning with the word of prayer. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, we come into your presence this morning. We give you thanks and praise for who you are, for what you've revealed to us about yourself and your word. And Father, we pray that you'll help us to know you better. We're thankful for your servant Jesus that you sent to this world, that we could have forgiveness of our sins, that we could have life with you. We pray as we study about him this morning that you'll help us to appreciate him more. Help us, Father, to follow Him and emulate Him in all of our ways. We're thankful for the church that meets here in Katy. We ask that you bless us and strengthen us and help us to be true to the faith. Help us, Father, to stand for what's right. We pray, Father, that you be with the church around the world. And we ask that you help our brethren wherever they are to be a light to their communities and to bring many souls to you. We pray for our missionaries that we support in foreign lands. We ask that you bless their work and strengthen them. We pray, Father, for those among our number who are sick and those who are bereaved and those who are going through difficult circumstances. We ask that you help us to look to Christ and to follow his example in every situation we find ourselves. Father, we pray that you'll bless our study again and help us, Father, to think deeply about your word and what it reveals about Jesus, your servant. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Isaiah chapter 42. Last time we're going to, uh, by the way, do one more survey type of lesson this morning. Last time we surveyed from Isaiah 40 through Isaiah 66 and kind of gave you a sense of what's in these chapters. It's the last 27 chapters of the book of Isaiah. And I mentioned last time that there are four what we call servant songs in these last chapters of Isaiah. And by servant songs, we just mean they are passages that deal with a servant of God, somebody who's come to serve. Um, And and what does that have to do with? Uh, It's about the Messiah. It's about Jesus and the four servant songs, very quickly, this is review, um, Isaiah 42 verses one through nine. So if you're looking at Isaiah 42 in your Bible, you can look at Isaiah 42 verse one and the scripture begins, behold my servant whom I uphold, God says, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. And and he goes on for nine verses talking about this servant that's going to come on the scene and he's going to bring justice and truth and the law to to people. Uh, And he's going to be a light to the Gentiles it says toward the end of this passage. So that's the first of the servant songs in the book of Isaiah. Then there are three more. You find one in chapter 49, verses 1 through 13. You find one in chapter 50, verses 4 through 11. And then you find one, this is the most famous, Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12. And that's the one that almost everybody has heard or heard preached about how Jesus uh, came to bear our sorrows and our iniquities and um, by his stripes we are healed uh, like a sheep that was led to the slaughter so he opened not his mouth. Um, those passages are there in that, particular pa- in that particular text. So the fourth servant song is by far the most well known and the most frequently quoted in the New Testament as we'll see in just a moment. Then I mentioned last time there is also some debate about whether there is a fifth servant song and it really doesn't matter whether you think there are four or five, but this one definitely is about Jesus. Isaiah 61 verses one through three. Uh, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel, uh, to, to heal the brokenhearted and to deliver the captives and to cause the blind to see. Um, that's Isaiah 61 verses one through three. So these servant songs are, interesting in and of themselves. And, and what I'm going to do with our study this morning is this. I believe that Jesus, I believe that he had to learn and read from scripture about what the Messiah was supposed to be. <coughs> and, and Jesus, by reading these servant songs, he understood the blueprint, the pattern for his ministry. He understood what he was supposed to accomplish And so we're going to look in the New Testament this morning at the way Jesus interacted with these servant songs and what what these are all about in His particular life. I'm going to do two things before we get into that particular discussion. In the first place, these servant songs, these have been the subject of much debate over the centuries. In fact, up until the time when Jesus appeared on the scene, nobody really fully understood who the servant was, you know, this, this servant that's going to bear our iniquities and, and, and he's going to bring righteousness to us all and he's going to be, die in our place. Who is this servant and, and what is he all about? And, and there, are some offer, there are some offerings that, that people make even now. Um, if, if this isn't Jesus in Isaiah 53 for example, if that's not Jesus then who is it? That's exactly the question that the Ethiopian eunuch asked in Acts 8.34. Because he was reading from Isaiah 53 and he said, I, of whom does the prophet say these things? Is he talking about himself or someone else? So when you read the servant songs, who is the servant? That's the question. And even today, you'll find some scholars that say, no, these are not about Jesus at all. Um, there are two broad suggestions. And this is just for your information's sake. But if you ever have a discussion with, for example, a person from the Jewish faith, This might well be a great evangelistic approach to open to the book of Isaiah and read from the servant songs. This is exactly what the apostles did in the early days of the New Testament church. They opened to the servant songs and they showed this is Jesus. But if you talk to someone from the Jewish faith today, they might say one of two things. And there are some people that claim to be Christians that say these same things. They say, well, the servant is an individual, but he's not the Messiah. And a bunch of different names have been thrown out. Maybe it's Moses or Job or Josiah, the king, Hezekiah, the good king, uh, Jeremiah, Isaiah, even Cyrus, uh, who we've mentioned already in this particular series of studies. So it's not the Messiah. It's just a ordinary individual. The problem with that, again, turn to Isaiah 53, if you would, in your Bibles. Turn to Isaiah 53 and just look at what is said Isaiah 53 verse 6, actually just look at verse 5, Isaiah 53 verse 5, But he, the servant, was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, on the servant, the iniquity of us all. That cannot be said of Moses or Isaiah or Jeremiah. Those men were good men, they were godly men, but it cannot be said of those individuals that the Lord laid on them the iniquity of us all. The servant can't be just a mere man. And then a second suggestion, this is by far the more popular among our Jewish friends today. Well, they will say this is a literary device and it represents Israel as the nation. so, so when God says "my servant," you know, and He's talking about these things, uh, He's talking about the nation of Israel, not an individual. Uh, that's the argument. the The quick response to that is, and there's there's a lot more involved response. If you're interested, I can talk to you about that later. But in Isaiah 42 verses 18 through 20, God does call Israel, the nation, His servant. But ironically, the servant Israel is blind and deaf this servant in Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 42 and Isaiah 49, these servant songs, this servant is going to bring light and he's going to open the eyes of people. That doesn't sound like Israel, the nation. They're not bringing light and opening the eyes of anyone. We're talking about an individual who's going to come and he's going to open people's eyes. And he's going to bring salvation and justice and truth to the world. So, those are two quick responses uh, and two suggestions that are commonly made. If these passages are not about Jesus, then who are they about? Those are the answers. Both of those are wrong. Questions or thoughts? Having said that, you and I need to appreciate, when when Jesus came to earth, this has always been the question that's asked, and I know what you're going to say, and it's, it's the right answer. When Jesus came to earth... What kind of king did the Jews expect him to be? Earthly. Earthly. I know you were all thinking it. When Jesus came to earth, people expected him to be an earthly king. That's exactly right. They expected that Jesus was going to rule on the throne in Jerusalem and he was going to restore Israel to its glory and its power. And part of the reason why they expected that was because there are some messianic passages in the Old Testament that very clearly indicate that the Messiah, the one that God was going to send, he is going to have dominion and rule over the kings of the earth. And there are some passages on the screen, Daniel 7 verses 13 and 14 and Psalm 2, other passages like that that talk about this Messiah that rules over the kings of the earth. He he has dominion, he exercises authority. And when people thought about the Messiah, man, that sounds great. We're gonna have a Messiah, we're going to have a ruler who has authority and he's going to be powerful and he's going to be wise and he's never going to make a poor decision. We're looking for that kind of Messiah. And in John chapter six, verse 15, they tried to make Jesus into that kind of Messiah. In John six, verse 15, the Bible says that they tried to take Jesus and make him king by force. They, They understood that Jesus had power, he could feed the multitudes and they wanted him to be their earthly king but there are other prophecies of the messiah in the new in the old testament and these other prophecies are what we're talking about this morning these servant songs isaiah is not the only one who talks about this servant but he is the one who does it in the most detail and the servant of god who's going to come he achieves victory not by dominating and conquering and, you know, obliterating and destroying people before him. The way this servant achieves victory is by always obeying God's voice. He always does what God tells him to. That's what a servant is. A servant is somebody who does the will of another. And not only does he always obey God's voice, but in doing the right thing and obeying God's voice, it ultimately leads to his suffering and his death like a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. He commits himself and surrenders himself to the voice and the will of God. That side of the Messiah was not on the Jewish radar, at least not very much, in the days of Jesus. And so when Jesus told his apostles, for example, that the Son of Man has got to go to Jerusalem and be killed and and, and then raised again on the third day, the apostles said, we don't understand what you're talking about Jesus because all they could see was the first set of prophecies. The Messiah is gonna be a great king. He's gonna rule. He's gonna, he's gonna have dominion. But they didn't think about the other messianic prophecies. And when you look at Jesus, both of these are blended beautifully in who he is. He does have dominion over the kings of the earth, but he is also the suffering servant who dies for the sins of others. This is what Peter talks about in 1 Peter 1, verse 11. And I'm fixing to give you a lot of scripture in just a minute. So in 1 Peter 1, verse 11, Peter says that the prophets in the Old Testament, like Isaiah, they were inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Said another way. The Jewish people, they, they were all about the glories of the Messiah. They were all about his power and his rule and his dominion. But they really didn't understand or want to think about the sufferings of the Messiah. And the servant songs, brothers and sisters and friends, are about the sufferings. They're about the challenges and the difficulties of this Messiah that God is going to send into the world. Questions or thoughts so far? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Sure. Randy Amen. says that if you're being oppressed by the Romans and, and, and things are not the way you read the Old Testament says that they're supposed to be, then yes, uh, you understand there's a, there's a very pragmatic reason for why they wanted the Messiah to be the, the ruler over the kings of the earth. Absolutely. I mean, it makes perfect sense from their perspective. But again, this is a human thing. You have to look at everything the Bible says about a given subject or topic everything the Bible says and accept all that it teaches and they just weren't thinking about the suffering side and again until they saw Jesus on the cross and until they saw the risen Christ um, the apostles themselves never fully understood victory through death, victory through suffering victory through this vicarious death on our behalf even they didn't understand that even though the Old Testament talked about it all right So two major things to think about this morning. I believe that the servant songs were instructive to Jesus. You know, oftentimes you'd see Jesus withdraw from the crowds and spend time in prayer. And you have to think that much of what Jesus did while he was apart from the crowds, while he was alone with his father, was to read and to meditate upon these Old Testament prophecies concerning himself. He had to understand everything that the Old Testament said about his mission. He had to then obey and accomplish everything the Old Testament said about his mission. You can't just pick and choose, it's not a cafeteria. You don't get to just pick a little of this and a little of that and say, you know, that, that prophecy is not so important. His mission was to fulfill everything that the Old Testament wrote about him. And so in these servant songs in Isaiah, Jesus found a blueprint for his mission. Let me give you some scriptures. And my, my suggestion to you in the next few minutes is just write down the references. If you're taking notes, don't try to write the words, just write the references. And you can go back and you can look at these in, uh, in your own time. I've put this on the screen so that we don't, um, we don't have to spend a great deal of time turning back and forth in our Bibles. But in these passages, Jesus found a blueprint for his mission. For example, in Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8, the Apostle Paul writes about Jesus that though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. And then he says this, by taking the form of a servant. Question, where did Paul get that word servant? Why is that such a lofty, exalted concept in the New Testament? The answer is because Isaiah prophesied about one who would come and would faithfully serve God. He was going to come and obey God's will. And notice that's the emphasis that follows. Being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. And how far did he obey? He obeyed and he obeyed and he obeyed until he died, until they killed him, even the death of a cross. Where did Jesus decide, where did he come to a realization and a knowledge that this was his mission, to listen to scripture, to obey God's voice until he died? He found it in large part in the servant songs of Isaiah. We sing today, make me a servant, Lord, make me like you. Where does that concept of a servant come from? In large part, it comes from the servant songs in Isaiah. Another passage. In Mark 10 45, Jesus says about himself, even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. And then he goes on to explain what kind of service he's going to render. It's not just waiting tables and it's not just feeding the hungry. He is going to give his life as a ransom for many. And I would argue that Jesus had in his mind as he was saying these things, the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. Because listen to the language. The suffering servant bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. He's a servant. That's what I've come to do, Jesus says. So Jesus didn't pull this idea of being a servant to all just out of thin air. It's right there in the Old Testament. It wasn't what the Jews expected him to be. It wasn't what the world thought the Savior should be. But it's exactly what God prophesied the Messiah would be. He's a suffering servant. Not only that... In Mark 14, 24, at the Last Supper, Jesus says, as he takes the cup and passes it around, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many. And again, the language, by his knowledge, Isaiah 53, one of those servant songs, shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. I want many to be saved. He wants everyone to be saved, but he knows not all will. But this is my blood and I know many will be saved because of what I'm doing. I'm a servant. Again, as you look at Old and New Testament connections in Luke 22:37, Jesus tells his apostles in the garden of Gethsemane to put away their swords. And he says, for I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And what scripture is Jesus thinking about? He was numbered with the transgressors for what is written about me has its fulfillment. Isaiah 53, 12. People that say that Jesus is not the suffering servant of Isaiah, they've completely misread Jesus. He himself claimed to be the fulfillment of these prophecies. What we're gonna do over the next several weeks is we're gonna look at these servant passages these servant songs in in some detail in Isaiah because they show us the mission and the ministry of Jesus and what he came to accomplish but I want you to understand this morning Jesus read these same scriptures he read these same passages and he got his mission he understood what he was supposed to do because of what the old testament told him the messiah was supposed to be he was just fulfilling scripture. He was just doing what the Bible commanded him to do. He was obedient to the point of death. Questions so far? Comments? Still have more to go. Yes, sir, Woodrow. Okay, Woodrow's asking if Jesus, at age twelve, was able to sit and instruct and, and ask questions that were intelligent questions of the rabbis. Uh, if Jesus could do that in Luke chapter two, then how does that fit in with the servant songs instructing him? Um, I, he, he's reading the he's reading the scriptures and he's asking the right questions and he's doing what the scriptures indicate the Messiah is supposed to do. I mean, he's obedient. He, he starts reading them when he's really young and, uh, and as he continues to grow and as he continues to mature and as he continues to, you know, Jesus, Jesus comes to earth and I mean, he, he looks at what the blueprint is. This, is. this is what God says the Messiah is supposed to be. Uh, it's not as if he just got this knowledge supernaturally. He knows what the Messiah is supposed to be because he listens to the voice of God in scripture um, and he does that throughout his life. Anybody else? By the way, he's a pattern for us, right? He's a blueprint for us. He, he looks at what the scripture tells him. He looks at what God's will for him is. And then he does it even when it's hard, especially when it's hard. And he is our pioneer. I'm, I'm preaching my sermon this morning, but that's what he becomes. I mean, he, he becomes the leader. He becomes the one that is the great example for us. Um, he read God's word. He did what God's word told him to do. And he did it even though it cost him his life. And that's what God asks of us as well. Okay. Next in Luke chapter four, uh, verses 17 through 21, Jesus goes to the synagogue. Remember I said a moment ago that Isaiah 61 verses one through three, uh, may some people say it's a servant song as well. Um, this is exactly what he reads in the synagogue in Luke chapter 4. So he goes to the synagogue and in verse 17 it says, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now he's reading from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So he reads Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. He rolls up the scroll. (coughs) Excuse me. He gives it back to the attendant, and then he sits down. And everybody's wondering, why did he read that passage? And he looks at the crowd, and he says, this day, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I say, Jesus understood that his mission was was not just the glory that you read about in Psalm 2, but it's also the suffering and the deliverance that you read about in the servant songs of Isaiah. And he was dedicated and devoted like a laser beam focused on accomplishing everything that the Messiah was supposed to do. He would not be swayed by the crowds that wanted him to leave the suffering behind and just be their king. Incidentally, when Satan tempted Jesus in Matthew 4, All of those temptations had to do with the earthly, worldly concept of the Messiah. If you really are powerful, if you really are the Son of God, change these rocks into bread. Throw yourself off the temple. Bow down and worship me and I'll give you all the kingdoms because the Messiah is supposed to have a kingly dominion over the kings of the earth. Bow down and worship me and I'll give you all those things. And you don't have to do the suffering, Jesus. You don't have to go through the hard stuff. If you'll just do what I'm challenging you to do, you don't have to go through the Isaiah stuff. That's exactly what the devil was doing in in Matthew 4. And Jesus appealed every time to scripture. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. It is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. He's reading and thinking about and meditating on scripture. And he is devoted like a laser beam to doing what the scriptures command him to do. That's the Savior. In Matthew 8, 16 and 17, that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. He cast out spirits with a word and healed the sick. And Matthew says, this was, the, even his healing the sick. You know, mending broken legs and 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 causing the lame to walk. This was to fulfill what was spoken. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Isaiah 53 verse 4. Why are you healing the sick, Jesus? Because prophecy tells me that that's what I'm supposed to be doing with my power. That's what I'm supposed to be doing with this gift that God has given me. Matthew 12 15 through 21. Jesus withdrew. And many followed him and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. So many times in his ministry, especially early, Jesus said, don't tell anyone what you've seen. One of the reasons for that is because Jesus wanted sincere followers. He did not want people that were just, you know, seeking sensationalism. But it also is because the Bible says he was fulfilling what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. And then Matthew quotes from Isaiah 42, the servant song Behold, my servant, whom I've chosen. We read that verse just a moment ago. My beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him. He will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. So Isaiah, again, is giving instruction to the Messiah. He's showing what God's design and God's plan is. He's not going to quarrel or cry aloud, Matthew goes on, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory and in his name the Gentiles will hope. When Jesus talked about his ministry and when he talked about what he was trying to accomplish, many, many, many times he brings up the servant songs of Isaiah. One more. In John 12, 37 and 38, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Jesus understood that people were not going to believe all of his miracles. They weren't going to believe in him. He understood that some people were going to reject him. This was a part of prophecy as well and he learned it in the Old Testament. Questions or thoughts? Is Jesus divine? Is he fully divine? Absolutely. Is he the fullness of God in bodily form? Absolutely. But Jesus also understood that there is a blueprint in scripture and Jesus subjected himself to what the scriptures teach about the Messiah. And that's important. It's a really critical thing to consider even though he is the son of God and he has all the power of heaven and earth at his fingertips, he subjects himself to his father's will. And he's showing you by that example, this is what you are to do with your life. Open the Bible and do what it says. Subject yourself to your father's will. Next, Not only were the servant songs instructive to Jesus, he found his blueprint for ministry, much of it, in the servant songs. And again, there are other Old Testament passages that Jesus referred to as well. But these servant songs were also utilized in early gospel preaching. If you've got your Bibles, open to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. So, right after the resurrection of Jesus and right after the establishment of the church on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, you start to see some sermons being preached, and it's really fascinating to look at how the apostles referred to Jesus. What are you going to call this guy, this person that rose from the dead on the third day after having been crucified? How are you going to designate him, Peter and John? They referred to Jesus repeatedly as servant. Was that by accident? No, it's not by accident. They are appealing to the servant songs in Isaiah. And in Acts chapter 3, notice in verse 13, as Peter is preaching... The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. Those three verses are a commentary on Isaiah 53. Because in Isaiah 53, the servant suffers and is die and dies. And then he brings many sons to glory. Then he rises and brings righteousness to many. So Peter preaches that Jesus is the servant. Not only that, in Acts 3.26, he uses the same term, God having raised up his servant Jesus. Why didn't he say the Messiah Jesus? Why didn't he say God having raised up Christ? Because Peter's point in this sermon is that Jesus is the fulfillment of those Old Testament servant prophecies. He fulfills those things. And yet there's more. In Acts chapter four, when they stand before the Sanhedrin, they are, they are beaten and released, and the Bible says <coughs> excuse me, threatened and released, and the Bible says in Acts 4:27, "When they go and they offer prayer before God." In Acts 4.27 it says, For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Both Herod and Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. And again in the same prayer, Acts 4.30, The signs and the wonders that are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Why are they using that language? They're using the word servant because they're thinking about how Jesus subjected himself completely to the word of God. He did what God commanded him to do. And now they are the people of Christ. They are the church. They are those who belong to him. And they're saying in their prayer, God give us boldness so that we can do what he did. Because your holy servant, Jesus, he came to earth and everybody opposed him and they killed him. And God help us to be bold like he was to do the things that he did. We wanna be servants too. Make me a servant, Lord, make me like you. It's not just about making pies for people, although that's a wonderful thing to do. It's about doing what's right and subjecting yourself to the word of God. They referred to him that way because this would have resonated early with the Jews, especially. Philippians 2, 7, again, we looked at that a moment ago. He took the form of a servant when he came to this world. Why? Because that is what God designated the Messiah to be. He's a king. He's a ruler. He's got all authority in heaven and on earth. And he's a servant at the same time. And you can't have one without the other. Questions, thoughts? This is important stuff. Yes, sir. is completely backwards. If you can't hear what Justin's saying, uh, everything that Jesus does is completely backwards of the world's model for greatness. The world's model for greatness is to climb higher and accomplish more and doesn't matter who you step on on the way up. And God's model for greatness is to humble yourself, to be submissive to God's will, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's God's model for greatness, to humble yourself, to be a servant, even when it costs you personally, and especially when it costs you personally, um, you still do the will of your father. That's, that's what Jesus models. Okay. Acts 8, 30 through 35, a famous passage. Philip ran to the eunuch and heard him reading from, of all things, Isaiah the prophet. And Philip asked, do you understand what you were reading? And guess what? Before Jesus, nobody really understood Isaiah 53. And the eunuch says, how can I unless someone guides me? Acts 8.31. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him in the chariot. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep led, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And that is a quotation from a servant song. Isaiah 53 verses 7 and 8 providential that at the very moment that Philip runs up that the eunuch is reading from that particular text. And then the eunuch asked a question, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this? Is he talking about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Early gospel preaching, brothers and sisters, began with the servant songs. Early gospel preaching talked about Jesus, the holy servant of God, who came to accomplish God's will and suffered and died and was raised again on the third day. And they got that message from the Holy Spirit, but it all goes back to what you read about in Isaiah. These servant songs, this Messiah who's gonna come and obey and obey and obey and die and be raised again on the third day. Never ever rejecting God's will for himself. Never ever violating any one of God's commandments. He preached Jesus from this passage, Acts thirteen forty five through forty seven. Paul goes and preaches about the great uh, scheme of redemption in God's plan, and the Jews kind of scoff at this. They they hear Paul preach and eh, we we're not sure. We we don't we don't think that Jesus really is the Messiah, and so here's what Paul does. The Jews saw the crowds. They were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it was necessary, they're talking to the Jews, that the word of God be spoken first to you, Jews. But since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. And here's our justification. Here's why we're turning to the Gentiles for so the Lord has commanded us saying, I have made you, you who? I have made the servant, I have made you Jesus, a light for the Gentiles that you Jesus may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. That's Isaiah 42 verses one through four. So God said that Jesus, the Messiah, the servant, was not going to be just for the Jews, but he's going to be a light for the Gentiles as well. And what Paul understood about his ministry was that his purpose was not just to preach to Jews, his purpose was to continue the Messiah's ministry in being a light to the Gentiles as well. And he used Old Testament scriptures to justify. I'm going to the Gentiles. It's not just about what happened with Peter in Acts chapter 10 and 11. It's not just about God showing Peter a vision saying, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. This stuff was in the Old Testament long before Peter ever came to earth. The servant songs were being utilized in early gospel preaching. Peter writes in 1 Peter 2, verses 21 through 25, he's talking about people having a hard time, and he says, When you suffer for doing good, hold on. Don't give up. Don't give in. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. (coughs) He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And then he goes on and writes... He himself, talking about Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Isaiah 53, again, servant song. What did Jesus do? He bore our sins in his body on the tree. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. By his wounds you have been healed. So Peter's got that servant song in Isaiah 53 in his mind, and he's saying... Jesus is the model. Jesus is the example. Jesus is the ultimate servant. And your job, your role as a Christian is to follow him, to do what he did. Your job is to follow his example, to follow in his steps. They use these songs, these servant songs in early gospel preaching. They encouraged each other with these songs, with these ideas. Jesus came to suffer and to die for us. Over and over and over you read in the New Testament about how people prove from the Old Testament that Jesus was the Messiah. There are two thoughts to consider kind of as we start to wrap this up. The first thought is we think about the servant songs and again we're going to read these and study them in some detail in, in the next couple of weeks. Jesus read these servant songs and he found a blueprint for his mission. And over and over and over when people ask Jesus why do you do what you do? Why are you allowing yourself to be treated this way? Why don't you rise up and conquer your enemies? Jesus would quote from these songs, Isaiah. And then early Christians preached Jesus from the servant songs to prove that he was the Messiah. I would imagine that that's exactly what Apollos was doing. In Acts 18, 28, it says, Apollos was a man who is mighty and eloquent in the scriptures and it says that Apollos powerfully refuted the Jews in public showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Isaiah was an apologetic, it was a defense of Christianity early in the history of the church. And it can be again today if we'll study and apply and appreciate what Isaiah says about the mission and the role of the Messiah. But the way that they talked to their Jewish brethren and the way that they tried to convince them that Jesus really is the Son of God, that he really is the Messiah, was very often by going to passages like Isaiah 42 and 49 and 50 and Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 61 and saying, look, all of these things are fulfilled in Jesus. Look at what he did. And then the fact that he rose from the dead means that he is now king of kings and Lord of lords and he rules over the kingdoms of the world and all things have been put under his feet. And they would use these Old Testament prophecies and these Old Testament passages and show how Jesus perfectly fulfilled all of these things. He followed the blueprint. And by doing so, it proves that he is the Messiah, the son of God. So we do ourselves a disservice as Christians when we don't spend time sometimes studying from passages like Isaiah, prophecies like Zechariah and Zephaniah, because they have some things to teach us about who Jesus is and what his mission was all about. And in his time and in his day, when he was here on earth in bodily form, Jesus relied on these scriptures for guidance, for instruction, for a sense of purpose and mission. And he wants you and me to rely on the scriptures for the same thing. We're not the Messiah, but we're to follow in his footsteps. Thoughts or questions? Anything I need to clarify? Yes, sir. No, okay. to, to, to answer your question. No, uh, the passages like Isaiah 42, 49, 50, 53, the, the servant songs, they are predicated upon the idea that sin has entered the world, which it did in Genesis three. And they are predicated on the idea that man needs a redeemer and a savior. And, and there's only one servant who can accomplish that. So, no, this was not an expectation for every Jew that they should suffer vicariously for the sins of others. That is not what these passages are teaching. What these passages are teaching is that God was going to send one by his grace who would do those things. But when the Jews read these passages, they understood the law and they understood the obligations of the law. They understood that they were guilty and they needed to offer the sacrifices of Leviticus, for example. But they did not get the idea from reading the old Testament that they were supposed to be the Isaiah 53 servant. They, they didn't have that concept. Um, they understood this was someone who was going to come and he was going to, he, our sins were going to be upon him, uh, just as our sins were put upon the scapegoat in, uh, in the offering of that sacrifice in the old Testament system. Yep. Good question. Anybody else? Thanks very much for your attention. If you want to read and study this week, Isaiah 42, we're going to spend time next week just talking about that particular passage next time, Isaiah 42. What kind of Messiah was God going to send? Isaiah 42. Thanks very much.